Welcome to the Refined Collective Podcast. I'm your host, Kat Harris. I'm co-founder of the online magazine, The Refined Woman, and my vision is to create a safe space where we can take off that Superman cape of having it all together and share our stories authentically and honestly. I really believe people are dying for the permission to be vulnerable, to just go there. But it takes someone being willing to go there first. It's my desire to do just that and invite you and others to do the same by removing that shiny mask of perfection and courageously sharing the imperfect journeys of life, spirituality, love, business, and everything in between. Hello, friends. Welcome to the Refined Collective Podcast. Y'all, I cannot stop YouTubing Sister Act 2. Like I've been listening to Lauren Hill, Oh Happy Day, and all of the final dance performance. Like y'all, I can't stop singing, but I'm really going to try hard because I really want to get into this episode with you and my dear friend, Bianca Oltoff. But before that, I want to share with you a review that we got from a lovely person, Michaela, on iTunes. She said, the Refined Collective podcast is my fave. The host, Kat, is funny, relevant, and is not afraid to ask the tough questions. Thank you, Kat, for this labor of love. From this fellow single Christian gal, thank you for talking so transparently about everything from life, career, friendship, dating, Christian living, and health. It is so encouraging to hear from someone who is like-minded and is walking through the same life struggles. Thank you so much, Michaela, for sharing your heart. And y'all, I share this with you because I, I want you to know that myself and my team, we read all the comments that you send. I read all of the DMs on Instagram, all the Facebook messages, all the reviews. Why? Because I care about you and I am invested into your wholeness and freedom. And this podcast is here to serve you. I want to create content that is meaningful to you and supportive and helpful. So let me ask you a favor. Would you mind going over to iTunes and leaving us a five-star rating and a written review. Obviously, only the five-star rating if you feel so compelled and love us. I sure hope you do. Um, And leave us a review about an episode that you really loved. Even you can put your questions in there of topics you want to hear more about. This will help us create more and more tailor-made episodes just for you. And in the meantime, it will also help us get our podcast out to more and more people on iTunes. So would love to ask you to do that for us. It would just mean the world. Now, today we have a really fun guest, Bianca Oltoff. She is here talking about her new book, How to Have Your Life Not Suck, Becoming Today, Who You Want to Be Tomorrow. She is a popular Bible teacher and speaker and is that woman providing the next generation of Christian women with a curated manual that gives spot-on advice for adulting, career, relationships, and faith. She's digging into the biblical story of Ruth and Naomi, and her humor and honest anecdotes will empower readers to create a successful life. And I can tell you, I am almost done with her book, and I am totally on board, believe in it so much, believe in her message, believe in her sass, believe in all the things. She is such an incredible woman, and I was super impacted by her conversation. Bianca 
in our conversation shares her story with passion and we dive into topics like divorce and sugar daddies to dealing with disappointment when our lives don't turn out the way we thought, prayed, or planned they would. So there is so much in here and I cannot wait to get you into the conversation. And honestly, full disclosure, because y'all, I'm all about being real. Um, The internet broke on us in the middle of our conversation, so our conversation was cut pretty short. It's a shorter episode, about 30 minutes, um, but it is jam-packed, and I hope you really, really love it. So if you have not had the privilege of hearing Bianca Oltsoff speak before, get ready. You're about to get blessed, y'all. Welcome to another episode of the Refined Collective Podcast. Today, you are in for a treat. I have my dear friend and pastor, Bible teacher, speaker, author, and a million other things. Bianca Oltoff is with us today. What is up, Bianca? Hi, my friend. How are you? I'm doing good. You know, I'm, I'm so just- excited to be on the podcast. Thank you for inviting me. Oh my gosh, I'm so excited to have you. And I know that we are just, you are on the heels of launching your new book. And I can't wait to talk with you about it. So before we get started, can you just tell us a little bit about your life and your book and what are you doing in your life right now? (laughs) (laughs) That is a really big question. And so I'm going to try to synthesize it and make it as simple as possible. So I hail from the grand state of California, AKA the (laughs) promised land. And uh, my husband and I embarked on a church planning adventure in Orange County, California, um, about a year almost a year ago. Mm-hmm. And so um, it has been a crazy, crazy adventure. It's been so fun. I am a, a stepmom to Parker, who's 15, and a stepmom to Ryan, who is 13. And um, we're on this crazy family, mixed family adventure together. But before launching the church, I set out to write my third book, and it's entitled How to Have Your Life Not Suck. And, um, it came out of, honestly, had I known my husband and I were going to launch a church at the same time, I don't think I would have said yes to it, (laughs) but like, how do you write a book on having your life not suck in the midst of sucky moments and sucky seasons? (laughs) And so it came out of, I wrote it for my 25 year old self as kind of like a playbook or manual of like, Hey, these are some things that you're going to face. You're going to face broken friendships. You're going to face loneliness from dating. You're going to have to grow the heck up. Life is tough, buttercup, but so are you. Like, I just wish that there was these little, um, handles in trying to climb up the adulthood Mount Everest. And this is where the book came out of. And so we're here now. I'm super excited about it. I believe in the project. And the funny thing is, is I wrote it for my 25 year old self, but you know, 10, 12 years later, I still find myself wrestling with some of these same questions. Like granted, I am married now, but relationships Mm -hmm. or even single friends or sisters who uh, are are needing someone to process with. Now I have Mm -hmm. nomenclature and language I could share with others. Like just because this dating season sucks doesn't mean that your life sucks. Like if right. you are not dead, God ain't done, sister. Come on, <laughs> let's get back up. And so that's kind of like the heart behind the book um, and the project. And I'm super, super excited to talk about it. Yeah. And I think you made such a great point, Bianca, of, you know, you wrote this book for your 25-year-old self. And the reality is that we all still are working through the things. Like just because you passed the season doesn't mean that there still aren't lessons to be learned. Absolutely. um, My experience with like moving through struggles or 
seeking healing in my own life is like, you know, I'll go through a season of like, all right, we're getting to the nitty gritty. We're working through the things. And then like three or four years later, God's like, all right, it's time for another layer. Let's do another I deep know, dive. I know. And I want to say, oh, thank you for maturing me. Thank you for finding <laughs> me. But really I'm like, why God? Why? And I'm like, I thought we already did this. Like, I, I don't have need enough to go back character. Here, like, I don't need more character development. <laughs> Don't you see how humble I am? I'm like so <laughs> humble. Everyone thinks I'm humble. We don't need to do this again. Exactly. Exactly. So you have a lot going on. And I think with people like you that I see, I see you and I see you as such a strong leader. And I honestly don't know how you do it all. You are a wife, a stepmom, a, I think you are a mogul. Um, you author all the things. When you look when, if you can think back to your life, maybe to that 25 year old self, or maybe even younger, like, was this the plan? Is this where you wanted to head? Did you think you would be here? No, not at all. Not at all, Kat. In fact, I remember being 22 years old, just graduated college, and I was sitting with my girlfriends, who I'm actually still friends with. On my chapter and section on friendship, I reference them quite a bit, but I remember sitting in IHOP, and for those that are not familiar with IHOP, it's the International House of Pancakes. It's very fancy. Very fancy. And we were (laughs) in IHOP. just We had all just graduated and come back from college, and we sat at this table that was sticky with syrup, and there was wafting aroma of carbs on the griddle. And we all sat down and said, you know, where do you want to be at 25? And I was the first person done. We all wrote it on a napkin and I was like, I'm going to be married. I'm going to have two kids. I might be like a homeschool mom who makes like vegan organic food. Like I had my whole life planned. And then it was just a mess. The relationship that I was in was absolutely dysfunctional. And I believe it was a year and a half later, we ended up breaking up. Um, his name was Satan. So I don't know if people know him, but um, <laughs> I dated Satan for three years and uh, I'm not salty. And, and so I, in to that, my mom, my mom had been ill and we didn't know what was going on. And it wasn't until around the age of 23, 24 that we discovered that she actually had two forms of cancer. One of them was brain cancer. Mm. I was in grad school at the time, heartbroken. I wanted relationships mm. and friendships, but a lot of my re- relationships and friendships have moved to different states or careers had called them elsewhere. And so I was isolated and alone and feeling really just sad because when I finally hit 25, I pulled out the napkin that I wrote at IHOP and nothing I had thought I'd have at that age was there. And it was then that I just started, if I'm honest, started like emotionally tailspinning, like everyone's life was moving on. It went from like college graduation invites at 22 to now like wedding shower, bridal shower invitations, then to wedding invitations, then to baby showers. And then, you know, I served in youth ministry at my church and you know that you're getting old and thirsty and salty (laughs) when the kids in your youth group invite you to their wedding. Oh my gosh. That's the worst. The worst. I'm like, (laughs) what am I doing with my life? Like what is going on? Um, And so it wasn't like, that I w- I could have looked back at my life and said, this is exactly where I'm going to be. It was like, we want God to operate in one straight, perfectly dotted line to our destination. And it's filled with pits and valleys and mountaintop experiences and loops and, you know, dashed lines. And you're trying mm-hmm. to figure it out. But what I will say is, which no one wants to hear, but it makes you, you. 
It's your story. It's your pain. It's your experience. It's your loss. It's your tragedy. It's your trauma. It's your success. It's your wins. It's your job. It's your awards. And no one can take that from you. And you want to know something like the best movies that you have seen, like, let's, let's, let's play this out from like narrative therapy, the best books (laughs) that you've read, the best commercials you've seen, the best songs you've written, were they because everything in life was absolutely perfect and amazing. Everyone had a thigh gap. No one had premature (laughs) wrinkles and everyone's outfits were on point. No, it was the struggle. It was the stress. It was the loss that made you fall in love with these characters. And yet when it happens to our life, we don't want it. We absolutely don't without realizing Rocky had to get beaten up by Drago for him to win. You know, like it was Cinderella had to lose her slipper and clean the floors and be treated like rubbish for us to fall in love with her. And for us to fall in love with ourselves, we have to understand that it's in the breaking, it's in the crushing, it's in the pressing that what's being extracted from our life will turn into something really good. And I say that because my husband is a level three sommelier. He's a wine expert. Wait, what? I didn't know that. Oh my gosh, really, Kat? <laughs> no, like, wow, jeez. A cork dork. You just, you just really, just, you just hit the lottery. <laughs> <laughs> well, this is reason. Here, when, we, when, when we were dating, he was a missions pastor, and I would have never dated him had I known he was a missions pastor, because they were like the worst types of pastor, because they want to be poor and help the world. And I grew up poor, so I was like, heck no, I'm not going to touch Amy with a temple pole. But he told me he was a community developer. Yeah, I was bamboozled, mm. Kat. Thanks, eHarmony. Mm. Fell in love with his heart. Uh, But yeah, so about five years ago, he went on this crazy journey of we were studying John 15 and, you know, we went to Napa on an invite of a friend and he was so bitten by a wine bug that he came back and he's like, I think I want to become a psalm. And I said, absolutely. I'm so for this. Yes, let's do it. Then he, after level one, he's like, I think I could do level two. And I said, well, uh, okay. I don't know what you're going to do with this. And this is a lot of time, energy, effort, and money, but okay. So he became psalm level two. And most recently, about seven months ago, he's a psalm level three. And he is phenomenal. But anyways, all that to say, we can talk about for those, and this is not meant to be like an advance for drinking. This is not a stumble. I hope I'm not Mm. stumbling anyone. Like I have a family that suffers with alcoholism. So I'm very, I have a heightened sensitivity to this, but I will say this, there is a beautiful process that goes into winemaking. So we love to pop a champagne bottle and pour it out and enjoy it in that moment. But we don't realize that that is an eight. 12, 16, 18 year process to get there. So we want the party without the process. We want the progress without the process. And it doesn't work like that. In fact, cheap champagne is rubbish and it will give you a headache and make you feel sick. And and what we're wanting is the experience. And so people are wondering, why is there no fruit? Why is this not good? Why does this not make me excited? You haven't let it sit. And the process, it's in the crushing, it's the breaking that the juice is extracted. Then it's put into a bottle and you want to know it's laid to rest. It's literally the technical term is laid to rest. Why? So that the draws and the impurities come to the bottom. And then the master riddler comes by and moves the wine bottle so that all the draws comes to the top and then it's cut off. Then it's corked and then it sits for four, six, eight, 10, 12 years before the master winemaker comes and says, it is now ready. Then the bottle is cleaned. Then it is labeled and then it's deemed worthy to drink. That's why with every, every pop, every party, it's poured out and people are excited. It is a symbol of celebration. Mm. Why? Because it's the process. And I see an entire generation that doesn't want to go through the process. And I'm like, do you understand? 
that for us to produce something of value, of worth, to stand the test of time, we need to be willing to go through the process. That's so good, Bianca. And I think when you are saying that, I think about like, what does it mean to grow up? What does it mean to step into the process? Because I think, you know, when you're like a little kid, you're like, I don't want to do that. Like, I don't want to do the hard work. But like what I hear you saying is this idea of like leaning into maybe the moments that you didn't want to lean into, or maybe um, pursuing calling amidst a season that looks way different than you hoped, thought, prayed it would look. And um, so what I'm curious about for you is, do you maybe even just any stories from your own life of that time where you're like, you hit 25, your life doesn't look anything like you thought it was going to look. And um, it sounds like you had a choice to make, like either kind of feel bad for yourself or like, all right, let's grow up here. So can you talk a little bit about like, like adulting 101 for the ladies? Absolutely. And so I would say it's an entire section. So I don't want to like whittle it down to like some plithy platitude that everyone's like, well, I think like, I'll say to synthesize this section, I would say it is one chapter is on the difference between little girls and women and um, how we can choose to grow up and be mature and responsible adults. But that's a choice. And I give some indicators and markers of how we can identify more acting like a little girl, more acting like a grown woman. Now, I say this because we think that if we hit a certain age and we're a woman, Mm, I beg to differ because we all have been around people who are 60, 70 years old, and they're still acting like petulant children. And so I feel like if we can start wrapping language and nomenclature around this idea of I'm willing to step into the heart, I'm willing to be responsible, I'm willing to take that next step, then that's a great sign that you're becoming an adult. And I feel like this term uh, adulting has, has made growing up feel like all the Peter Pans just don't want to mm. come to the party, but there is a, there's beauty in, in the work. And so the undergirding of this book is through the life and times of two Old Testament characters by the name of Ruth and Naomi. One is older, one is younger. And we see this beautiful mentoring relationship and a budding friendship at the end of that. But my favorite thing about Ruth, I really resonate with her. She is an outsider. She's not a Jew. She's not from Bethlehem. She's from Moab, a city that people don't want to be a part of. And as a first-generation American, I resonate with that message. I, mm. I, I, I see her hustle. I see her chutzpah. I see her cojones, that she's willing to step into a field and do the work, that she wasn't above doing menial labor. And I feel in this very like Instagram, beautiful, filtered-esque moment and season in history, work feels like that very thing that we don't want to do. Mm. And I don't want women of this generation to shy away from it. As a millennial, I'm like, do you understand the dent that we can make? We have more access to access. We have more access to technology and access to information and education than any generation before us. In fact, 30 years ago, the information that you could only receive at universities at the PhD level is now available thanks to Google and YouTube. So we ha- we don't have excuses except the excuses that we list for ourselves. And so what is stopping us? Sometimes I feel like it's just us not willing to do the work and grow the heck up. Okay, all my single ladies, listen up. Raise your hand if dating as a single woman of faith in today's swipe right, swipe left culture has been a struggle fest. 
I've experienced it at all from being stuck in the friend zone like it was my job to my dating life looking like the Sahara Desert to awkward setups to heartache to being ghosted and pretty much everything in between. But you know what I've discovered? It doesn't have to be this way. Truly. I know you're like, cat. you don't know me. You don't know my story. And you're right. But I know mine and I know what it's like to feel hopeless in this area of my life. And I know what it's like to move into my season of singleness and dating with hope and clarity and practical tools and freedom. And over the last few years, I've literally journeyed with thousands of women all over the world and walking into more freedom and purpose in their dating life. So I created a free guide for you to help you jumpstart your dating life and get unstuck. It's called Six Tips to Activate Your Dating Life. You can grab it for free at bit.ly slash TRW dating tips. In this guide, I will teach you the biggest mindset shift that will transform how you show up in your dating life. And then I'm going to show you how to get unstuck in your relationships. I know you want to meet a quality guy, but it's like, how, right? I got you, girl. Then the number one thing you can start doing today that will radically transform your season of singleness. And lastly, the three things I wish someone would have told me 10 years ago about dating. This guide is for you if you're a woman of faith that longs for a meaningful relationship but have no idea how to get there. Is that you? Then go ahead and go to bit.ly slash TRW dating tips and grab my free guide, six tips to activate your dating life. Yeah, I think that's such a, that's like such a, it's such a great call out and I think um, needs to be said. And it kind of leads me to this idea I wanted to talk with you about. I've talked with this about this on the podcast before and you kind of mention it and you mention it in a section in your book when you're talking about singleness and dating. But, you know, Bianca, I, I'm just going to be honest and say like, I never really had career goals. Like my big goal was I wanted to get a full ride athletic scholarship to a DON school to play tennis. And I did that. And then I was like, well, junior year, I'll meet a guy and then we'll, he'll propose senior year. I'll graduate. We'll get married. I'll start popping out babies and totally. we'll have a really great job. Totally. And so I'll get to like mentor girls from my house if I want, volunteer at church. But like, like I just, did not have like any vision outside of that. So I became a Bible major so that I could like lead Bible studies from my house once I was married at 22. Um, now I'm 34 and single and run two businesses in New York City. So my life hasn't turned out the way I thought it would either. And for a long time, I was really floundering in my career and I would like make decisions, you know, I'd, you know, do the photography stuff. But I finally got to this point a couple years ago where I felt like God really challenged me and was like, are you looking for a husband or a sugar daddy? Mm -hmm. Do you want a spouse or a financial savior? And if I'm being real honest, like I was really hoping for a financial savior. Um, and I wonder if a lot of women are in that boat. Um, so I thought maybe you could speak into that because I feel like you have some good insight on the whole sugar daddy thing. Yeah. Well, first I want to say thank you for your honesty because I think you put language around what so many people have felt. Um, I don't think that God ever asked me if I wanted a sugar daddy or do I want a husband because I just would have been like, I want both. But, uh, but I, I, I do allude to this uh, a little bit in the book is that sometimes we can wait around twiddling our thumbs, hoping, wishing, praying, 
that Prince Charming will come and rescue us as if we are in a Disney film. But the truth of the matter is, is that if we are believers in Christ, we've already been rescued. Like we have an ultimate rescuer. And even through the book of Ruth from the Old Testament, like I mentioned, the book is written out of, there's this amazing character by the name of Boaz who comes in as a rescuer. But Charles H. Spurgeon says that Boaz was great, but Jesus is our great and glorious Boaz. He is our kinsman redeemer, the one that will come out and find us. And if that's the case, that's, that's really where our fullness is going to come from. In addition to that, like we could wait around and wait to be rescued and then waste our life away when or if it happens. And so one of the things I like doing is, is almost doing like this inventory. We're waiting for this like sugar daddy to come rescue us. But what if we just started taking care of ourselves and not to be like, I'm an I-N-D-E-P, like I don't want to do that, that route. Like I am an independent woman, but I don't have to be flagrant about it. If I have to convince you that I'm independent, I'm probably doing a bad job at it. So I just want to show up like a boss um, and prove to myself that I can sustain a job. I can go after a promotion. I can financially sustain and support myself. And I feel like sometimes there's this release and this freedom that we feel when we know, hey, if this happens or when this happens, amazing. But if it doesn't, I, I'm not looking for someone else to complete me. Colossians mm. says that I'm completing Christ. I don't need someone else to validate me. I don't need to convince you to love me. Like I know that I'm loved by God and I'm working on loving myself. Therefore, boom, mic drop. I'm going to take care of myself. Okay. <laughs> um, and then I, I think like the, the other dovetail part of that is that sometimes in our independence, we can push people away. Like we don't need anyone. I don't want anyone. Don't see me. Don't look at me. Don't holler at me. Don't chirp at me. And sometimes we can remove ourselves from even this, this feeling or demonstrating an openness or a willingness to be available. So you live in New York city. I, when I talk to girls, I talked to it about like the taxi light, like how is your taxi light on? Because the only way that people know that taxis are available is if the taxi light is on. And if the taxi light isn't on, that means that they're not available. So for, for women who are interested in dating, are you putting off that vibe that you're open and available? Because mm. you can't say, oh, well, no one wants to ask me out. Girl, you look like you have a scowl. You got like mad RBF. You know, <laughs> like, like no one asked me out. Did, have you flossed your teeth in the last year? Like your halitosis is going to knock someone out. Like sometimes we <laughs> want to complain about things that we actually have control over. So it's this yin and yang. It's this balance of like, we, we don't want someone to complain us. We don't need someone. But at the same time, are you willing to be vulnerable? Are you willing to be open? Are you willing to take care of yourself and let someone know that you would love to be taken out on a date? Like it's this weird interesting um, pendulum that goes back and forth where we understand that vanity and maintenance is different. And um, we go back and forth between like, I'm fully dependent on God and independent as a woman. And yet I would love to be in a relationship with someone that doesn't teeter on codependence, but yet we're interdependent on each other. It's this weird chemistry that can, that I really believe can take place when two healthy people come together with an understanding. I don't need you. I want you. Yes. I will make your life better. You will make my life better. We rub against each other like iron sharpens iron. Oh, you better believe it. And watch out, brother, because sparks will fly. <laughs> but I think it's this interesting um, dichotomy that we are that we have to be willing to step into, um, again, not for validation, but for an understanding of like an, an openness to be willing to step into a new relationship. 
I think that's so like such good insight right there. And just like the balance of like, yeah, you can pursue calling, but then don't go on the other side and be like, I got my own money. I don't need you. Like there's such a balance there. And um, I gosh, I know we only have a few minutes, but I feel like it's super important to go here on this episode. You have, you have a unique story with your husband and I have a whole group of women that have started asking me questions within the curriculum I have that are like, should I date a divorced guy? Like, what if he has kids? Mm -hmm. And on the flip side of that, like single mothers coming to me feeling like, how do I date as a single mom? How, how much time should I wait before getting back there after a divorce? And I, I feel like especially, you know, I'm 34. It's, I'm single. It's very possible that I will date someone that has been married before or mm-hmm. has kids. And so I would love to hear just a little bit of your story and your thoughts on that stuff. Yeah. So I would say the abbreviated story is I um, was 28 turning 29 and my twin sister who'd been married for about 87 years was like, <laughs> hey, I feel like you, you are not going to meet anyone. Um, you don't like go out and hit the clubs and the only people that are in your world are in grad school or at church or at the gym and everyone, the gym's a meathead and everyone at grand school is married and everyone at church wants to secretly date dad. So like we just <laughs> stop. And so, um, she was the one that signed me up for eHarmony and I was totally reticent to online dating. I was like, if God could part the Red Sea, he could bring someone to me. And Jasmine's like, look, so what? So they're going to show up to your doorstep. And I was like, yes, like Rebecca and Isaac. And Jasmine's like, well, I hope you really are attracted to the UPS guy. Cause that's the only person that's coming to your door. And I was like, <laughs> oh dang, savage. And so, uh, we ended up building out an online dating profile and I sobbed the whole way through. Um, and now that my husband's a psalm, we drink wine, but prior to that, very conservative background. So we never drink wine. But that night, sister, we had some wine because I was <laughs> like, I cannot believe that, you know, I've succumbed to this. I have my master's. I've traveled the world and yet I cannot find anyone. And, and when I filled out my profile, I already felt like I was taking a hit because here I am, this independent woman who's debt-free, has a master's, traveled the world, speaks two languages, and I cannot find anyone. And so I already felt like, well, if I'm putting myself out there online, at least let this be difficult. So um, at the time, eHarmony had some non-negotiables. And I had said, I don't want someone who's divorced. I don't want someone who's kids. And I don't want someone who smokes. And I mean, I should have said something like doesn't do drugs, but like whatever. And, um, and, uh, and then Matt came back as a flexible match. Matt is my husband and a flexible match meant that, that you're very compatible online, but there's something in their profile that you said that you didn't want. And so when I looked at his profile, I saw these two kids and I was like, I really hope that's his niece and nephew. And it turned out they're his kids. And I discovered that he was previously married. Okay. So that's kind of like the fast short end of it. Fast forward to us dating. And I said yes to the date because I had not gone on a date in like four years. And it was more of like hop on the horse and, you know, get a, get a feel for the ride type of thing. And, um, and I wasn't expecting to like him as much as I did. I mean, I totally did. With divorce, dependence, and and debt, I was like, ooh, sign me up because this man had a heart after God. And I was like, oh my gosh, this, this guy is amazing. He's gone to hell and back. He's been taken advantage of and cheated on multiple times. And yet 
with a lot of counseling, a lot of therapy and biblical community around him. He is such a healthy person and it was so attractive to me. But then I was faced with the weight in reality of like, what does this look like to date and potentially marry someone who is divorced and has kids? So of course, like the outliers and the most obvious are your community. What's your community going to say about it? And so definitely I am of Hispanic descent. So my community had a lot to say about it. <laughs> then my friends had things to say about it. Then church had people things to say about it. They weren't all negative, but they all had slight concerns. We are prone. So I'm going to speak to the single girls who potentially will marry someone who, or date someone who is previously married. We are prone to listen to them and either ignore them full out because you're like, you just don't understand me and you just don't love me and this guy's really great. Or listen to them too much and potentially shut down a really great relationship. I'm going to always swing. Again, I spoke with a pendulum. I'm gonna, always going to swing for the middle, the middle ground where we take the wisdom and the insight and the love of others. But then we also hold fast to the fact that like, you know what, again, I'm speaking to it from a faith perspective because that's my background, but you know what, Joel 225, I remind my husband of that every week, baby, I'm your Joel 225, the years that the locust has eaten, <laughs> our story, thus saith the Lord, I am the years that the locust have eaten. Okay. So we have an opportunity to play a part in someone's redemption story. That is a gift. That's an honor. But let me say this. It's not easy. So I will once again speak to the single girl who moves from dating someone to marrying someone who is previously married. And mine's even a little bit more complicated because I married someone with kids. And I will say this, and this is so much more to unpack, but I'm just going to say it because it was the hardest, most hurtful thing someone's ever said, but it was the best advice. I would uh, sing this woman at church. She had been married, goodness gracious, probably like 25 years at that point. She didn't have any biological children. I don't have biological children, but she did have one stepdaughter. And it looked like their life was just so great and so wonderful. And I pulled her aside and I said, Dee, what advice would you give me as someone who's potentially going to marry someone with kids? And without even hesitating, without even blinking her eyes, she said, don't do it. I said, wait, I'm sorry, what? She said, do not do it. And I said, but you and Danny have been married for so many years and you have this great relationship. And I said her daughter's name. I said, you have this great relationship with so-and-so. And she said, oh, we do. And it is. But you need to hear that somebody told you in love, don't do it because you're going to walk into it and you're going to ignore me in the same way that I ignored when people said not to marry Danny. And you've got to know you made your bed, you lie in it and it's going to be beautiful and it's going to be awesome, but it's going to suck and it's going to be hard and you will have moments where you question it, but no one's forcing you to love this person. You choose this person. And when you choose that person, you're choosing their entire life. And in this case, it's two kids. And I was gutted. I left that conversation like, you're the worst. I don't even understand. Why don't you say that? Speak life, sister. And her words have haunted me to this day. Mm -hmm. You are saying yes to that person. You are saying yes to them and their children. And it is a call and it is an honor and it is a privilege. Now let me speak to the perspective of um, women 2.0 on marriage 2.0, where <laughs> you are divorced and you feel like you're tarnished goods. You feel like you're tattered. You feel like no one's going to want you and you're baby daddy drama and all that other stuff. First and foremost, I'm just going to speak some truth that scripture says that you are a royal and elect generation to tear down strongholds, that you are fearfully and wonderfully made, that you are not too far gone, that God is a God who redeems and restores. And I will use Ruth as we close this out. Someone who was previously married, she was a widow, different situation, but you know what? That marriage died. So let's just say you were widow too. So she was a widow and she was barren. She could no longer have kids. She was an outsider. She would have been ostracized in her community back in Bethlehem. And guess what? This 
woman put her head down. She went to work and in a field, stanky, hot, pitted out and sweaty, Mm -hmm. she caught the eye of an amazing man who saw her and loved her despite her circumstances. So if that is your story and someone comes around, please do not think of yourself as less than because the moment that you walk in, in this like servitude of like, I can't believe you've seen me. Woe is me. I cannot accept this is the moment that you forget who you are. Child of God, you are elected to tear down stronghold. You are fearfully and wonderfully made before you were in your mother's womb. God had fashioned you and knit you. So if that is the case, someone would ever be so lucky to get the 2.0 version of you, someone who recognizes their faults, their failures, their the, 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 their mistakes in the past and has learned from them and has can walk through the fire and experience loss and divorce and maybe infidelity or betrayal or adultery and still come out the other side saying, I'm going to not let this mar me. I'm not going to let this make me think that I'm less than. Will this cost a lot? Yes. Will you probably need counseling and therapy? Yes. Will you have nights where you are broken and and, and heart aching? Absolutely. But if you find someone from someone on the other side, let me just give you some practical handles. Will you please, for the love of God and the love of yourself, meet with a counselor to get healthy and whole? Number two, will you understand that us joining into your family do not make us pay penance for the sins of your first spouse. And lastly, will you understand that saying yes into entering into a covenant relationship, yes, is a privilege and an honor, and we would be so lucky to have you. But don't forget, you sure is lucky because we are the years that the locust has eaten, okay? So whoever swoops you up and picks you out of that field in Bethlehem like Boaz did Ruth, will you love and honor them And just wait, just wait to see what God does. Because Ruth had no clue that God would open up her womb and she would conceive again. And from her would come Jesse and from Jesse would come David and from Jesse and David would come King Jesus. We have no idea what it waits ahead of us. And sometimes it comes in broken and pockmarked places, but there's beautiful things that grow out of really dry and barren places. And so don't give up. Okay, well, now I'm crying. (laughs) Oh, man. I don't know. Like, that was such a healing word. And I don't know. I'm not divorced, but I feel like it just hit me in, like, such a raw place. Um, So, wow. Thank you so much for just speaking truth and hope and restoration um, and sharing your story. And, Bianca, I just believe that God is using you to awaken a generation of young people. I'm so grateful to call you friend and just so grateful that you have another book coming out that I know is going to bless so many people. Um, So thank you. Thank you. Thank you for sharing your story and just being on here with me today. I love you, Kat. Thanks for being a good friend. Yeah. And real quick, tell us where we can buy your book, where we can follow along with your stories and all the things. I'm so excited. The book comes out Tuesday, August 27th. It's going to be available um, at on Amazon, at Barnes & Noble, any brick and mortar. Um, and you can get more information at BiancaOltoff.com or follow along the social media journey at Bianca Oltoff, O-L-T-H-O-F-F. Awesome. Thanks, friend. Well, have a great day and I hope to see you soon. Love you, girl. Hey, thank you so much for listening to this episode of the Refined Collective Podcast. If you are new here, maybe you've listened for a long time and there's topics, questions, comments, concerns that you have about what we're up to. 
follow us on Instagram, The Refined Woman. Send me a DM and I will get back to you and let me know what you want to hear about. Let me know what you want to talk about. And I would love to make that happen for you. Have such a fabulous day. (laughs) Bye.